0: How does the offer of free beer sound to you? As a loyal listener of the show, we'd like to reward you with just that. Free beer. Courtesy of our friends at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight free exclusive craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash seeing red and cover just £4.95 for the postage. As an added bonus for seeing red listeners, sign up within the next two weeks and get two extra free beers. So that's a total of 10 free beers. Beer 52 traversed the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. Each month they deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have ranged from Germany to Korea, Norway to South Africa and even California to Finland, but they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the craft beer scene. And the beauty of Beer 52 is they don't hold you to ransom. There's no lock-in and you can leave any time. I've been a customer for 12 months now and let me tell you, there is no better feeling than arriving home from work to a fresh delivery from Beer 52. This month I have particularly enjoyed the Grand Slam, a brute IPA brought to us by Black's Brewery. I love strong beers and at 6% this one definitely hit the spot. Your first box will be sent to you next day and will contain beer from all over Europe. You'll also get the award winning craft beer magazine ferment and if that wasn't good enough they also throw in a tasty snack. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash seeing red to get your first case of 8 beers for free. And don't forget, sign up in the next two weeks and get an extra two unmissable beers free. That's www.beer52.com forward slash seeing red. That's the word beer, then the numbers five, two, dot com. Hello and welcome to the season three premiere of Seeing Red. I'm Mark and it is great to be back. If you've caught up on recent episodes or if you've been following us on social media, then you will know that Bethan is taking a couple of months off after the birth of her beautiful baby girl. Mother and baby are doing really well and Bethan is looking forward to coming back to the show in the very near future. So watch this space. But until then, you will be stuck with me. Thank you to our new Patreon supporters who have joined the party since we've been off the air. We have Joshua Hales, Nicole Hogger, and Tegan Robinson. Thank you very much, guys. Merchandise will be out to you very soon. We also have some more bonus episodes going up between now and the end of the year. So if you don't currently support us on Patreon, then do have a think about heading over to our page at patreon.com forward slash seeingredpodcast. This week's episode sees us delve into the murky world of sex trafficking and it takes us all the way to the US of A. I'm going to be talking about a man with many names. Pedophile, sex trafficker, billionaire. If you haven't already guessed, I am of course talking about Jeffrey Epstein. Now, unless you've been living under a rock, you will definitely know the name, but do you know who he really was and what he actually did? Join me as I take you on a dark and twisted journey into the life and crimes of Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein was born in 1953 and raised in the middle class neighbourhood of Seagate in Coney Island in the New York borough of Brooklyn. It was a pretty normal upbringing, his mother was a homemaker and his father worked as a groundskeeper and gardener. He had one younger brother, Mark, and was a gifted musician who learned to play the piano when he was just five years old. Epstein excelled at school too, graduating two years early in 1969, having skipped two grades. So far so good, but when he went to university, things started to go wrong. Epstein left the prestigious Cooper Union partway through his studies and transferred to New York University where he failed to graduate. Cooper Union is a private college in the East Village of Manhattan, an area that would have been filled with hippies and artists attracted by the cheap rent in the area at the time of Epstein's studies. Nonetheless, this was a fee-paying college with an excellent reputation and it does make me wonder how Epstein's family were able to afford to send him there. Perhaps they couldn't, or more specifically, perhaps they could and then they couldn't. Hence, Epstein's time there was cut brutally short. Perhaps this made Epstein determined to make something of himself so he would never again have to suffer the indignity of not being able to afford the very best life had to offer. Who knows, like lots of aspects of his life and crimes, there are many unanswered questions. As we go on, you will see that Epstein liked to construct a narrative that wasn't necessarily true. A narrative that would see him elbow his way into the upper echelons of high society in the most glamorous cities across the globe. After failing to graduate from New York University, Epstein landed a job as a maths teacher at the private Dalton School in Manhattan. This was an exclusive school that was able to attract the very best teachers New York had to offer. How Epstein was able to get a job here, with no degree to his name, is beyond me. Perhaps he forged his references and qualifications. Two years after joining the school, Epstein did something that would almost bear the hallmarks for his future success. Seizing his opportunity at a parent-teacher conference, he used his almost superhuman powers of persuasion to manipulate the parents of a pupil at the school to advocate him to Alan Greenberg then CEO of Bear Stearns, a New York-based global investment bank, and a fellow parent of children at the school. And I have to say, I think this really does give you a sense of who Epstein was. I can almost imagine him using this parent-teacher conference, an event that would have been filled with some of New York's most powerful people, purely as a networking opportunity for himself. Screw the kids and their performance – It was all about Epstein. Greenberg, the CEO of Bear Stearns, was impressed with Epstein and did offer him a job at the bank, albeit a fairly junior role. But it was a foot in the door, a way into a different world, one filled with money and power, and Epstein was instantly intoxicated. That was 1976. Within six years, Epstein had risen through the ranks at Bear Stearns, going from junior assistant to partner, and this was now the 1980s, the decade of excess, greed and opportunity. Having built up a loyal portfolio of wealthy clients during his time at the investment bank, Epstein set up his own business, Intercontinental Assets Group, and he took his clients with him, managing their investment portfolios and encouraging them to recommend their wealthy friends and business associates. Epstein's business interests soon diversified and as well as essentially running a hedge fund for his super rich clients, he also started to assist people in the recovery of money from fraudulent brokers and lawyers. He described himself as a high level bounty hunter and his work took him all over the world. Clients included Adnan Khashoggi, the notorious arms dealer, as well as the governments of small African nations and prominent families in the Middle East. So he wasn't just mixing with the wealthy, but also the extremely powerful. Adnan Khashoggi was the richest man in the world at the time, and he didn't always operate within the law. Epstein was very well connected and highly skilled at what he did. He didn't always operate within the law himself when conducting business, but he was seen as a fixer and his reputation preceded him. His willingness to abuse his own power and bend those rules made him very attractive to his clients. Since his death, rumours have circulated that he was working for domestic intelligence agencies, something that was given credence by both Epstein himself, who allegedly boasted of this, and investigative journalist Vicky Ward. Ward has gone on record to say that a former senior White House official had told her that US Florida District Attorney Alexander Acosta had been advised not to question Epstein about a fake passport found in his home in 2006 because, quote, Epstein belonged to intelligence. The passport, which had expired in the 1980s, was found during a raid on his Palm Beach home following his first arrest. It bared Epstein's photograph but was in a different name. It had numerous Saudi Arabian entry and exit stamps and it was clear that Epstein had travelled there under the false identity. So had he been working for US intelligence? Perhaps he had, just how far did his influence reach? We will of course come on to the 2006 investigation and Epstein's subsequent indictment in 2008 which saw him sentenced to 18 months in prison but I just wanted to give you as much background as possible before we get there and of course before we get to the events that would end in his apparent suicide in jail last month. Often referred to as a billionaire, Epstein's true net worth remains unknown, in part because much of his wealth was concealed, according to Forbes magazine, in a financial entity in the US Virgin Islands, which is a tax shelter. Since his death, a recent will has come to light detailing his assets, which amounted to just over half a billion dollars, far from the billions he claimed to have accrued throughout his four-decade-long career, but still a sizeable sum. Throughout the 90s and early noughties, Epstein continued to build his business empire, setting up numerous companies, some pretty respectable, some definitely dodgy. And he acquired properties around the world, including a ranch in New Mexico, the mansion in Palm Beach in Florida, and a 40-room mansion in New York, which was the largest residential property in Manhattan at the time of his purchase in '95. Epstein even had the sidewalk directly outside the property dug up To enable him to install an underground heating system Which could then be turned on during New York's harsh winter months To melt away any snow This really gives you an idea of his vast wealth It seems to me that whatever Epstein wanted Epstein got Nothing was out of reach for him Adding to his property empire Epstein purchased two islands in the US Virgin Islands Little St James, purchased in 1998, and the neighbouring Great St James, which he purchased in 2016. These islands, together with his vast property portfolio, were to become his own private fiefdom, where he would be free to abuse girls as young as 12, as he parted with the rich and the powerful, more of which later. Epstein was very well connected and he mixed with prominent figures from the worlds of entertainment, politics and royalty. And he wasn't just on the fringes of these worlds. He was deeply ingrained with A-listers, presidents and princes. As we have seen, he was an excellent networker and he would ruthlessly pursue anybody he thought could be of use to him. And people were attracted to him. He was charming and incredibly generous, loaning out his private jet with gay abandon, allowing friends and associates to stay at his properties, hosting wild all-expenses-paid trips to his private islands. Life with Epstein was fun. He treated his guests like royalty, and in some cases that's because they were actually royalty. And Epstein knew having such powerful figures on hand would definitely make life easy for him in the long run. Epstein first came to prominence in the early noughties when he set up a philanthropic foundation. He awarded a $30 million grant to Harvard University in order to help them establish a mathematical biology and evolutionary dynamics programme. No, me neither. He was publicly lauded as quote brilliant by then Harvard professor Alan Dershowitz and made headlines for his charitable efforts. To the public, and somewhat frustratingly to the media, he was an enigmatic figure. No one would talk, his friends and associates didn't discuss Epstein when the press came knocking, and very little was and still is known about how he acquired his wealth. This just made him all the more interesting, and from this time he was constantly popping up at society events and parties, and people really started to take notice. And one of those people was then editor of Vanity Fair, Graydon Carter, who tasked investigative reporter Vicky Ward with writing a profile of Epstein for the magazine in 2003. The end result was a lavish piece, an unveiling of this mysterious man entitled The Talented Mr. Epstein. It focused solely on his business endeavours and his philanthropy. Missing from the article were allegations Vicky Ward said she uncovered while reporting the story namely that Epstein had attempted to extort two sisters into sex and eventually committed statutory rape with the younger girl, then aged just 16. Vicky Ward said, What I had on the girls were some remarkably brave first-hand accounts. Three on-the-record stories from one family, a mother and her daughters who came from Phoenix, The oldest daughter, an artist whose character was vouchsafed to me by several sources, had told me, weeping as she sat in my living room, how Epstein had attempted to seduce both her and her sister at the age of 16. When Vicky Ward contacted Epstein for comment regarding these allegations, he ramped up his relationship with the magazine and the editor, repeatedly calling the office and even turning up unannounced. By the time the article had gone to print, the allegations had been removed. It seems Epstein had once again abused his position of power, this time to control his increasingly public persona. This was a near miss for Epstein, and left him free to continue his predatory behaviour, safe in the knowledge that there was nothing he couldn't control or get away with. Rumours of Epstein's depraved activities first began to swirl in 2008. Investigators identified at least 40 victims who claimed they had been abused by Epstein and his high-profile acquaintances. A detective on the case likened Epstein's abuse to a sexual pyramid scheme. Victims would be offered cash to bring in new girls. And then these new girls would be offered cash to bring him even more girls. And then those girls would be offered cash to bring in even more girls. And then that, okay, well, I think we kind of get the picture and we understand how that works. But um, it was alleged that girls would be offered between 200 and and $1,000 to give Epstein a massage at his Florida home. These massages would often lead to sexual assault and even rape. But despite the corroborated claims and a multitude of witnesses, prosecutors scrapped several serious charges and agreed to a deal with Epstein's legal team for what was widely viewed as a stunningly lenient sentence. So he basically agreed a secret bargaining deal and pleaded guilty to one count of abusing a girl. Epstein served only 13 months of an 18-month prison sentence and he was allowed out for up to 12 hours per day to go to work. Work was a home office at his sprawling estate where he would continue to receive visitors so it is highly probable that Epstein was able to go on committing the very abuse that had landed him in jail whilst still technically in jail. The non-prosecution agreement Epstein signed also granted immunity to any alleged co-conspirators and prevented victims from having their day in court. The granting of immunity to any potential co-conspirators essentially shut down the entire investigation. And so, all the powerful people who were linked to Epstein and who had a guilty conscience breathed a massive sigh of relief. The non-prosecution agreement was described as a sweetheart deal. And although commentators and some politicians were enraged at Epstein having essentially gotten away with his crimes, they soon forgot and moved on to the next big story. Don't forget this was in 2008. The financial crisis was looming. After a little over a year, Epstein was a free man. Free to carry on abusing. However, not for long. When he boarded a flight on the 6th of July this year in Paris, bound for New York, the next time Epstein set foot on solid ground, he would no longer be a free man. When he arrived at Teterboro Airport in New Jersey, officers stormed his private jet and arrested him on sex trafficking charges. Epstein was taken into custody at a Manhattan police station and told he would face 45 years in jail if found guilty, which officers told him would be highly likely. His New York home was raided by the FBI and a trove of lewd photographs featuring underage girls was uncovered. Epstein's lawyers requested bail, even offering to post an unprecedented $600 million bond. However, Epstein's luck was well and truly up. He was considered a flight risk and prosecutors agreed he was also a serious risk to the public consequently bail was denied and epstein was moved to the metropolitan correctional center in lower manhattan now i'm not sure if you've seen pictures or footage of this prison but it is a weird old place and i'm not sure if that kind of prison is more common in america but generally in the uk prisons are quite old they're quite victorian um low built buildings so they're quite often very big they're sprawling but they're over probably two or three floors and I think this building in Manhattan is over 12 stories and it just kind of sits in lower Manhattan it looks like a, a kind of ugly 70s office block and it's overshadowed by some really famous landmarks in New York and I just find the whole concept really really weird uh, it really freaks me out I think when jails are located in city centres. For some reason it's just, yeah, it's just weird. The Metropolitan Correctional Centre is massively overcrowded and it has housed some of the most dangerous criminals ever detained in the US since it was built in the 1970s. Drug lords, Al-Qaeda terrorists and even mafia dons have all served time here. Epstein would have been massively out of his depth in this place. Inmates are locked up for up to 23 hours a day and the only fresh air they get is when they have one hour of exercise in a sort of caged roof terrace at the top of the building. This place is infested with rats and cockroaches and a plumbing problem means prisoners encounter pools of raw sewage that they either need to wade through or step around. I can only begin to imagine the smell of this place. Prisoners are only allowed to shower three times a week, and even then they are escorted to the shower block by prison guards. Meals are served in cells, and any time officers have to enter a cell, the inmate is first cuffed through a food slot in the wall. So if you've recently seen uh, The Silence of the Lambs on Netflix like I did... It is basically exactly like uh, the way they treat Hannibal Lecter. And I really think Epstein must have been so frustrated that for once in his life, money and power were not going to get him out of this hellhole. For the first time ever, he was going to have to face the consequences. Or would he? As Epstein languished in his rotten jail cell, more women came forward with harrowing tales of abuse. Virginia Juffra was introduced to Epstein by British socialite Ghislaine Maxwell when she was 16 years old. Ghislaine is quite another story in this whole saga. The daughter of disgraced publishing tycoon Robert Maxwell, her and Epstein's lives were intertwined for decades. The two once briefly dated, however, after that romance ended, Ghislaine remained by Epstein's side as a sort of fixer. Virginia said "Gillane groomed her for Epstein's benefit. She said, quote, I was trained for Epstein and it began immediately, everything down to how to be quiet, subservient, even how to give him a blowjob. She remembers feeling confused because here was a woman, someone who could have easily been her own mother, preparing her for degradation and abuse. Following years of abuse, she said she became this numb figure who refused to speak or even feel, only able to obey. She told the Miami Herald she was taken to one of Epstein's islands to have sex with a number of his friends. She described it as the perfect world for a billionaire to get away with what he wanted. Nobody would have had any idea what was going on. She said he would hold huge parties there and have big orgies. In a 2015 defamation case, Virginia claimed she was lent out to prominent figures, including Prince Andrew. She claimed she was forced to have sex with him on three occasions. Buckingham Palace have vigorously denied these allegations, and the judge hearing the case in 2015 has even struck those allegations from the court record. But at the moment, pressure is mounting on Prince Andrew to quote... Come clean, as Virginia said on the steps of court this very week. Virginia also detailed what went on in Epstein's private jet, nicknamed the Lolita Express. She said it was called this for a reason. It was a vessel for him to abuse girls and to traffic them to his rich friends. She broke free from Epstein's circle and fled to Australia at the age of 19. Reflecting years later she said, My hopes were quickly dashed and my dreams were stolen. Virginia finally thought she would get justice this year when Epstein was arrested, a sort of closure on a nightmare chapter of her life. But it wasn't meant to be. Jennifer Arrows grew up in New York with dreams of becoming a Broadway actress. She was thrilled when she was accepted into a performing arts school in New York and it was outside this very school in 2001 that a woman approached her and I think we can guess who that may have been, the fixer. This woman, who Jennifer doesn't name, kept turning up, talking to her, offering to buy her lunch. She said she had a friend who could help Jennifer with her career and so she took Jennifer to Epstein's house and he flattered her by telling her that he'd heard a lot about her. She was served wine in Epstein's kitchen and given $300, and that was it. But she was repeatedly asked back. Jennifer noticed the erotic art in Epstein's home and felt uncomfortable, but this was a man who was supposedly able to help her with her dreams. After a few weeks, she was escorted alone up to Epstein's massage room, where things turned physical. Jennifer was fourteen. She would massage Epstein whilst he lay on his front before he would eventually turn over and, clearly aroused, begin masturbating himself in front of her. Epstein would ask Jennifer to play with his nipples before what she described as him finishing himself off. She would be rewarded for her twice-weekly visits with cash and the sad feeling that she had been abused. Just after her 15th birthday, Epstein asked her if she would undress and sit astride him whilst he was naked on the massage table. She did and he raped her. After that, Jennifer never returned. She was so terrified she even left the performing arts school that she loved so much because she was paranoid she would once again bump into The Fixer or Epstein himself. Jennifer didn't feel strong enough to tell anyone and has since talked of her guilt at not going to the police which she believes enabled Epstein to continue with his abuse of many more young girls. Another victim, Courtney Wilde, who was 14 and wearing braces at the time, described her abuse at the hands of Epstein. Again, she would initially be brought to the house to massage Epstein. Eventually, he asked her to strip to her bra and pants and touched her whilst he masturbated. She was paid $200 for every girl she recruited. Michelle Lacarta was recruited by another girl and went to Epstein's New York mansion to again give him a massage. When she arrived, she was led up to Epstein's massage room where he was lying on the table naked. He told Michelle she was beautiful and sexy and she began to feel uncomfortable. She was 16 in stranger's house thinking, how am I going to get out of this situation? Epstein encouraged her to massage his back, asking her to go lower and lower, all the while quizzing her about her sex life. As a 16-year-old, Michelle was lured back by the money. She said she was always angry after the abuse, punching holes in walls or slamming her head into something. At the time, she said she wanted to die. Jenna Lisa Jones was another victim. She has three children now, but the legacy of abuse she suffered at the hands of Epstein means she doesn't like to have her breasts touched and therefore has been unable to breastfeed her three children. She has been in therapy for the past 20 years. There are dozens more victims who came forward and most likely dozens more who haven't so far. There have even been claims of 12-year-old triplets being flown to America from their home in France as a birthday present for Epstein. And I do honestly think more disgusting information will come to light over the coming weeks and months, far worse even than what you have heard so far. Epstein apparently took his own life in his tiny cell at the Metropolitan Correctional Centre in the early hours of August 10th this year. This was following an attempted suicide three weeks earlier where he was found unconscious in his cell with injuries to his neck. After that incident he was placed on suicide watch however just six days later he was taken off suicide watch and moved to a different wing of the prison. On the 9th of August, the day before his apparent suicide, Epstein's cellmate was removed from the cell they shared without any explanation, leaving Epstein alone to contemplate his future into the early hours. The federal investigation has shown that prison officers who were supposed to be guarding him on the night he apparently killed himself had falsified logs to make it appear they had checked on him when they had not. He was supposed to be checked on every 30 minutes the fbi and the justice department are looking into epstein's death but chief medical examiner dr barbara sampson said in the days following his apparent suicide quote, "after careful review of all the investigative findings including complete autopsy findings the determination of the death of jeffrey epstein is suicide by hanging and so unsurprisingly the conspiracy theorists are going wild" As far as I'm concerned, there are four possibilities. One, he committed suicide. The last suicide at the Metropolitan Correctional Centre was 13 years ago. So, despite what some people have said, that it's impossible to kill yourself in that jail, we know it has happened before. However, that was 13 years ago. Maybe authorities took action following that suicide to prevent it from happening again. As an aside... This particular jail houses people on remand, people who are awaiting trial. Suicide in any jail is frowned upon, but even more so in this type of jail. It's important for the victim of any crime to get justice, and the suicide of their alleged offender deprives them of this. Also Epstein apparently hung himself with his bed sheets but there has been a lot of talk that these sheets were made of paper and therefore weren't strong enough to support his weight so I don't know I think it's it's highly unlikely that he did commit suicide personally. Option two he was murdered. As far as I'm concerned if Epstein was murdered it wasn't by a fellow inmate or prison guard. Well, perhaps it was, but only perhaps on the order of government officials or, you know, even the president himself or maybe even the queen. OK, maybe I'm getting carried away. Um But it's definitely possible that he was murdered in his cell. Uh When we look at the fact that his cellmate was removed the day before he died, uh the fact that the guards weren't guarding him as they were supposed to be. And also, I, I failed to mention so far, but the two CCTV cameras that monitored him weren't working. So it's highly suspicious. The third option centers around Epstein faking his own death. And to me, this is the most plausible option. This was my go-to option as soon as I heard that he had apparently died in jail. If anyone can fake their own death to get out of jail, surely it's someone with connections that go all the way to the top. Someone with hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe billions hidden in offshore accounts. This is plausible. If Epstein had seriously compromising information on the president or members of the royal family, this could have been used as, quite literally, a get-out-of-jail-free card. But they couldn't have just released him. They fucked up back in 2008 when he was given a sweetheart deal, and there's no way the public, let alone the victims and their lawyers, would have allowed that to have happened again. But if he were to, quote, die, then he gets out of jail. There's no court case, no compromising information is revealed, and his victims can't blame the government for being too lenient on him. Sure, there's no justice for them, but a tiny part of them must be happy that he is at least dead. I think if this was the case, which, I don't know, I I think... I'm 90% sure it probably was, then Epstein must have had some major shit on some major people. Perhaps major enough to bring about the impeachment of Donald Trump, major enough to cause another global meltdown, or even major enough for the royal family to be overthrown. Okay, maybe I'm getting carried away again, but I do think it must have been something that would have had dramatic repercussions. So I would hate to think of Epstein sunning himself on another secret island, sipping cocktails, laughing to himself that he's got away with everything yet again, but there is a part of me certainly that thinks that may well be the case. The fourth and final scenario, according to some conspiracy theorists, centres on the idea that justice was done, Guantanamo Bay style i.e. Epstein was removed from the prison and taken to a secret tribunal where he was put on trial, found guilty of all charges and immediately executed. Personally, I'm not sure why the government would do this, other than maybe to avoid sensitive information getting into the public domain, but again, it is possible. And if we think of those grainy pictures supposedly showing Epstein being carried out of prison on the morning of his death, I do think that probably was him. Was he dead? Probably not. Was it part of an elaborate plan to fake his death in order to get him out of jail, perhaps? Or was it a sedated Epstein that we see in the images on his way to be hung, drawn and quartered at Guantanamo Bay? I don't know. What do you think? Please do get in touch in all of the usual ways. We are on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. You can also email us at info at seeingredpodcast.co.uk and don't forget to check us out on Patreon and throw a few dollars our way to keep us doing what we're doing. I hope you found the episode interesting apologies you are stuck with just me Um, it's probably a bit of a different style to how we've done our episodes before that's kind of a stupid obvious thing to say Um, so probably a lot less banter uh, probably a lot less swearing as well so some people will be happy but please do get in touch with your feedback if there's anything I can improve for next time uh, I'm always open to your suggestions thanks to everybody for your case suggestions for reaching out to us on instagram and our other platforms there's there's some really interesting cases that have been mentioned so we would definitely be featuring those uh, in the very near future so uh, if you haven't already contacted us with a case that you'd like us to feature then please do get in touch and we will definitely cover it until next time we or i will see you then bye How does the offer of free beer sound to you? As a loyal listener of the show, we'd like to reward you with just that. Free beer. Courtesy of our friends at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight free exclusive craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash seeing red and cover just £4.95 for the postage. As an added bonus for seeing red listeners, sign up within the next two weeks and get two extra free beers. So that's a total of 10 free beers. Beer 52 traversed the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. Each month they deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have ranged from Germany to Korea, Norway to South Africa and even California to Finland, but they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the craft beer scene, and the beauty of Beer 52 is they don't hold you to ransom. There's no lock-in and you can leave any time. I've been a customer for 12 months now, and let me tell you, there is no better feeling than arriving home from work to a fresh delivery from Beer 52. This month I have particularly enjoyed the Grand Slam, a brute IPA brought to us by Black's Brewery. I love strong beers, and at 6%, this one definitely hit the spot. Your first box will be sent to you next day, and will contain beer from all over Europe. You'll also get the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment, and if that wasn't good enough, they also throw in a tasty snack. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash seeing red to get your first case of 8 beers for free. And don't forget, sign up in the next two weeks and get an extra two unmissable beers free. That's www.beer52.com forward slash seeing red. That's the word beer, then the numbers five, two, dot com.